Mike Hanafy, who moved to Detroit from Oregon in 2010 to start Restore Church in Detroit, uh, dedicated to showing and telling Jesus Christ in the uh, in the Detroit area, 48202 and 206, making disciples, and uh, he's a faithful church planter. His um, plan is to encourage and support and uh, and uh, start new church plants in the Detroit area. He serves as a uh, regional director of Plant Midwest Detroit, which is a ministry to encourage and support pastors in the church planting um, field. His preaching and his trust in the gospel of Jesus as the power of God, not only to save but transform people continually, is why we asked him to come to this conference. He's been a great uh, friend to ULBC as uh, as Jeff has come to uh, uh, to work here, and we look forward to working with him for many years. So welcome, Mike Hanafy. Thanks. Hey, good morning. How you men doing? If, please uh, forgive, I've got a really bad voice. I was on the road to Minos Conference in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, we drove well, many hours overnight. We're back. Um, but I feel like I should have, I feel like I smoked three Paul Mall cigarettes. I think if I did, I would feel better. Um, but really, I'm grateful for all you men here. I wish I was down on the floor. I'm not preaching. This is more of just a, a breakout type session. But let me tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Mike again. I'm married to Susan. We have six children, ages 19 down to um, 11 months, five biological children. And then last... Um, Christmas, my wife and I started praying about adopting, um, but specifically a local child, if God would connect us with a mother who found, a lady who found herself pregnant and didn't know what to do, was even thinking about aborting, would God connect us with her? And it was a few weeks later that this young lady walks into a worship service at our facility, which is an old post office in central Detroit, pours out her heart to my wife, and uh, a few Months later, we're bringing Titus home from the hospital. So I forgot what it was like to have a crying baby in the house. Um, man, I need to, and, and I also did the math. When he is 18, I'm going to be 63. So uh, I've taken, what's that? That's young, right. So um, I, I come here as a dad, as a follower of Christ, really thankful for you men here you could be doing a lot of things this morning, no doubt, but you've come here, so let's pray, because unless God blows on this chicken scratch, it's going to be nothing anyway. So can we pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, how many times has that word come off our lips, but we've not been stirred nor staggered over the fact that we actually get to call you Abba, Daddy. Lord, I pray that um, to some measure we would know more of what it means to be adopted as your sons and daughters. Um, I pray that we would not only know that you love us, but that we would taste that love. I pray, Father, for this not to be just some academic session, but God, that men here, maybe there's a man here who can say great things about your love, 
but is not really tasting your love. Um, I pray that even as I, as I share these plain truths from Scripture, God, that you would awaken in me a deeper sense of your eternal fatherly love for me. Um, God, I want to renounce all self-reliance. I have no game. But God, I know that you do, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would empower me way beyond my natural capacities, and that he who was given to point um, the light on Jesus would open our eyes and unstop our ears so that we can see and hear great things about all that you are for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, speaking at a few men's conferences in the last um, few months and few years, I've opened up uh, usually the, the, the kickoff session with this rather unconventional, if not touchy-feely question. It's, it's kind of an awkward question, in fact, as you're doing a hog roast and enjoying cigars and talking about men's stuff. It is a very touchy-feely question, and yet I think it's a very manly question. And the question I offer is this, do you feel God's love? I won't have you raise your hands here whether you do or not, but I'm, I'm asking you, do you feel the Father's love for you? I'm not asking if you can put your finger on 16 verses that talk about how God loves you, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do because it all starts with the word. But what I'm asking is quite simply, do you literally feel the Father's love for you as his son through Jesus Christ? Now, the vast majority of men, when I ask this question, say, not really or not typically or not habitually. Uh, They don't feel that kind of love. And, And the reality is we as men and just we as Christians, we can sing how deep the Father's love, while not really feeling the Father's love. Am I right? My contention is that God wants us to feel His love. And I think we see that in ourselves as human fathers. Which, which of you men here are, are, are fathers? Fathers. I'm, I'm guessing you want your children to feel your love for them, Right? And we're pretty lousy sometimes, aren't we? But I'm guessing you want your children to feel your love specifically for them as their father. Now, I'm not just talking about experience. though. I think I have Bible for that. In Romans 5.5, it says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by who? By the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I take that to be um, sensual in the sense of sensory, something you feel terminology, is shed abroad in our hearts. If that's debatable, I don't think 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is debatable. That great benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians where the apostle writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, God the Father he's referring to, and the communion, the fellowship of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then you have Jude 21, where you have these verses towards the end of that one-chapter book. He says, you know, praying at all times to the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, keeping yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? I don't think that means, 
I'll just put my cards on the table. I believe in absolute sovereign election. I never put myself in the love of God. God put me in his love. I don't keep myself in the love of God. God keeps me in that kind of love. So I don't think he's talking positionally right there. I think he's actually talking experientially. I think he's saying, keep, when he says keep yourself in the love of God, he's saying be in that place where you are experiencing all that you are positionally loved by God. Jonathan Edwards said, it's one thing to be able, even with great clarity and articulate words, to describe the taste of honey on your palate. That's a whole different thing, he said, than actually tasting the sweetness of honey on your palate. That's what we're talking about right here. Not just describing the love of God. We can, you know, preachers, we can, we can sometimes wax eloquent about this matter, but we're talking about tasting and experiencing the love of God. A lot of reasons why we don't, but I think A, or one reason we don't, is because we overlook the glorious doctrine of adoption. That's what we're talking about this morning. Biblical adoption. And I just want to talk about what it means that we have been adopted into God's family. What does it mean that we are now, because of God's action, one of his sons? I think, I think as, as men, we far easier, um, understand or get the legal aspect of, of salvation, the forensic, if you will, aspect, the judicial part of, of, of the atonement as well we should, because if you don't have any of that, you don't have anything else, right? But my point is, I think we far easier understand the legal aspect of the gospel as opposed to the familial. What is adoption? Again, adoption is simply the act where God makes us one of his family members. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the Trinitarian framework of the gospel, specifically the, the gospel facet of adoption, because I, I, I know you guys could quote all these verses, right? I mean, in that if, if you hear anything new, it probably was heresy, okay? So, so my job is just to stir us up and just to stir myself up regularly over these truths I already know so they land a little bit deeper into the marrow of my soul. So if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians 1, which is probably the most stupid thing I could say with a room full of preachers. Do you have a Bible? But if you have one, or your device, open up to Ephesians 1. And you, got, and you guys know this, but we're just, just trying to lay a little familiar groundwork before we press in a little bit more. I love, every time I look at a facet of the gospel, I like to look at it from a Trinitarian perspective. How does that particular aspect of the gospel relate specifically to each member of the Godhead? So Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, beginning actually with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he now enumerates many of them. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. End of sentence there, period, right? Then, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, he, what's this teaching? What, what did the Father do? The Father chose us. God 
in his white hat, white hot holiness, had every right to plant his feet squarely on the universe's three-point line and swish us all into his cosmic incinerator. Instead of doing that, he chose us. When did God choose you, by the way? I like to say this, restore. People get it this way. He chose us before we were a glimmer, ever a glimmer in our great, 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 keep on going back for like a billion years. I don't believe in a billion years creation, but you get my point. Keep on going back before you were ever a glimmer in your great, 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 keep on going back granddaddy's eyes. God said, mine, mine. Mine. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, this is a little different than human adoption, though. When, 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 when we adopt babies, let's be honest, we think they're cute because they really are. I mean, Titus, those big brown eyes, the way he cracks up, the way banana is smashed all over his face, it's kind of cute. No, he doesn't smell too well. The kid is a stinky boy. But he's cute. And, you know, it's funny, I have one of my daughters, Claire, said, Dad, why do, why do people say all babies are cute? They kind of look like potatoes. And she's just being real. But there is even a cuteness in their potato-ness. I got to tell you, there was nothing cute in us, though, when the Father chose us. We weren't innocent kids in some orphanage in need of human parents. Oh, no. Whose children were we, according to Ephesians 2? We were children of... Children of wrath, it says. We were children of wrath, hijacking hijacking all that God gave us, namely life, for our purpose. We were, Romans 8, 7, at enmity, at hostility with God. And yet then, then God chose us, not because we'd be a great addition to a squad, but because he chose simply out of his love to love us savingly. That's what the father did. Now turn to Galatians 4. Again, looking at adoption as it relates to each member of the Godhead. Galatians 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, there it is, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, we could just do scores of sermons through this text right here. It's, it's pretty weighty. It's very beefy. But here's what I'm, here's simply what I want us to see. Here's what the son did to bring us home. Jesus left home to redeem us through his perfect life and sacrificial death so that we who were not only strangers, were actually slaves to sin, could be brought into the kingdom as sons of the father. We so easily get over that, don't we? I don't. I don't know about you. Um, I, I, I I study the things of God and I talk about the gospel so much that the fact is it can it can sometimes stop stirring me. How about you? 
Like, I wish there was some kind of device. Like, when you go to a hospital and do a hospital call and you see them hooked up to a monitor and you know they're really healthy when they're going, when the thing is just, you know, I don't know anything about medicine. It's a good thing I have a lot of doctors in the congregation, ironically, in the inner city. I'm glad they're not here because I don't know how all that works. I just know when that thing is showing a healthy heartbeat, you get a lot of, you get some movement. But when it flatlines, it's not very healthy, right? And I just wonder how often do we flatline over understanding all that Jesus went through. That heart monitor should be jumping. And when it's not, well, I think one of the reasons is because we are not understanding what it means for us to be made sons. So let's move on. The Father chose us as sons, Ephesians 1. The Son rescued us to become sons, leaving home, as it were, to bring us home. But finally, the Spirit secures us as sons. And there's there's many, many verses we could look at, but... I like to talk about, if in the field of medicine, if you will, again, I'm stepping out in ignorance, but if you look at the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Spirit is the heart transplant surgeon of the Godhead specializing in regeneration when he rips out that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh so that we can see our sin and savor the Savior himself. He does divine LASIK surgery so that our eyes are open to who he is and, and to give us the ability to come to him. But he's not just that. This is what I want to talk about with the Spirit in reference to adoption. The Spirit makes us aware of our adoption. The Father adopts us, but the Spirit makes us aware of of adoption. Now, let's be honest. Many people in the conservative evangelical community or even in a smaller group, reform community, have a functional binary, not a functional trinity. We have the Father and Son, or we might have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. But we actually have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has been given a weighty ministry of making us aware of the Father's love. And right here, he taps into the word Abba. Did you know that Jews would rarely call God the Father? Did you, did you know that? If you read the Old Testament, there's only a handful of occurrences. And what's different there from here is there's a more formal name. But here, he taps into Aramaic, which had a much more relational expression for a child talking to his father. Something that we would loosely translate as daddy. He's wanting us to know that the Spirit is the one who who, who bursts that cry in us so that God is no longer God, but he is Abba, Father, our Daddy. Now, we're going to come back to this because I think this is very, very important. But I I just want to state the obvious, but maybe not experienced. For everyone who puts their faith in Jesus You need to know that God is your father, and he is absolutely crazy about you. Does that feel awkward to hear? God is your father, and he is absolutely crazy about you. And if that feels awkward, then you still think that your standing with him is based on what you do. Then that should be crazy. But God is your father, and he is actually crazy about you. Now, that is hard for us to believe, myself included, for two reasons. Number one, we may have had earthly fathers who did not fully love us in that kind of way. In fact, 
I don't think any of us did in his way. I'm seeking to, to love my children, and yet my love, I, I tell my kids, how much does, how much does, how much does you, you, me, your dad love you? And they'll say, like this. And they'll say, well, how much does your heavenly father love you? And they just start backing up. Like, it's like there's an amazing contrast. My love is a drop in the water. God's love is an ocean of water. But many of us, therefore, don't know the Father's love because we didn't even have a drop of water love from our human father. He may have been, for instance, absent. And this, and this, and this really connects in, in urban areas where quite literally dads are not present in people's life. I was at that the conference this week at the Kynos conference. A guy named Derwin Gray. He he preached one message, and he talked about he didn't understand why he loved the color yellow so much. He just couldn't figure that out. Why do I love yellow? I don't root for any. I never played. He actually played in the NFL. Why do I love yellow? And one day it hit him. The last time he ever saw his father, he was eight years old, and he gave him a yellow bike. And something in him was just yearning for that. He had, a, he had a physically absent father. And it wreaked some havoc in his life until he met the Savior. Some of us, we didn't have an absent father, but we had a, a dad who was functionally absent. That is, he was not really interested in us. And men, that's why we need to be so proactive and interested in our children. Because we can be present, but not present, Right? Has your wife ever said to you, you're not here right now, but you're there physically? Is that, that's happened to me, I'm thinking about, you know, Sundays racing at me or whatever. Many of us, some of us, a few of us perhaps had fathers like that. But you know what? God the Father, instead of being absent, was interested in you long before you ever thought of him. Again, chose you before he's in your great, you were a glimmer in your great, great, keep on going back, grandpappy's eye. Ain't no daddy like that. Now, some of us had earthly fathers who were transactional in our love. That is, if you did something great, you got straight A's, you hit a home run, you made a good tackle, whatever it is, you got that affection and attention that you longed for. So you quickly learned the transactional love equation, good performance equals attention and affection. But instead of being transactional, the father loved you redemptively when you, he knew your real resume. And you had a spiritual rap sheet infinitely worse than Charles Manson. He loved you then. Many of us had earthly fathers who were abusive. They broke you down verbally. It was always criticism and criticism and criticism. And yeah, that was great, but couldn't you have done this next thing? Some of you actually may have had fathers who broke you down physically, but all of them, whether it was verbal or physical, they did not build you up. But your heavenly father, instead of breaking you down, he is building you up, Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, to shape you into the image of his son because of his everlasting paternal love for you. Some of us, some of you, a few of you had fathers who were unpredictable. And you became an expert of figuring out in just the first few minutes of his appearance at the door what kind of mood he was in. But your father, instead of being unpredictable, will he still love me tomorrow? Yeah, he will, even if you screw up. He'll continue to love you. He will never change 
his mind. In fact, you were not the midwife in your new birth. He was the midwife. But as many as receive him, to them does he give the right to become the sons of God, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of man, nor, nor the flesh, but of God. He is the one that birthed you in. He, that, that, his love for you is eternally stable. Now, that was one big heading of why sometimes we struggle with experiencing this love. We had earthly fathers who did not reflect this kind of love very well. But a second reason, dialing into one of the specificities I gave, is we obsessively think we get love by earning it. We just obsess- I mean, I think we're hardwired that way. Life teaches us that, doesn't it? It's all about performance. Report cards and standardized tests and batting averages and athletic banquets and conflicts with your spouse that result, result in cold, coldness, not warmth, and go both ways. It results in silence, not conversation. We just learn that we get love, the kind of love that really does something. We get it by performing for it. And you're telling me there is a, a God who I've sinned horribly against, yet in Christ he loves me unstoppably, unconditionally, as the greatest father ever? Yes, that's the gospel. That's, that's the message of grace. And, and, and that tells us that there is nothing left for us to prove. Because Jesus did it for us. He performed in our place. And he brings us into a relationship with the perfect father. Now, do you know what people group is particularly afflicted by performance mentality? It's the people group I'm looking at right now. It's pastors. For a lot of reasons. Number one, the kind of people that are called into the pastorship and pastorate rather, the kind of people that God calls to church planners and sends that call, typically have been dudes who have done something. You're, you're in a, you were an achiever, maybe academically, athletically, or both. Maybe you were a business success. Most of your life, you got stuff done, you were evaluated for it, and you were recognized and rewarded for it. And let's me, I, I, do, I do lots of assessments for church planners, and we want to know what people have done in the past. Because there's no guarantee for the future, but past performance does tell you something about how, what they might do in the future. So there is a legitimate understanding of that but but it becomes so ingrained into us and then and then you and then now now you lead an entity that is evaluated in the eyes of many by its growth right how it's growing how many people are coming to faith in Christ what's going on that you slowly begin to justify yourself through that am I the only one that ever fights that anybody here Anybody here at all? Anybody? What, when you go to a pastor's conference, what do they often ask you? What are some things that they ask you? How many? How many are you running? Right. Now, there's a very crass way you can can uh, respond, but we're in the church house, so I won't say that. But it, it, we we can begin to evaluate ourselves that way. Very, very subtly, in a good desire to grow, we revert back to that performance mentality. And it's kind of hard to experience the Father's love when you're doing everything you can to earn love in other directions. 
There's an old country song that goes with that line, we go around looking for love in all the wrong places. That indicts many of us. My son Titus, I don't love him because, it, I mean, he's cute, so there is that difference. But I don't love him for how he performs. I mean, I, I, I love him for just because he is my son. That's it. In fact, the rest of my life, I just love him that way. I love Titus when I see him as a little guy of 11 months trying to smash two pancakes. And he's got half of them on his face. That means eat, by the way. He tries to eat two pancakes. And he's just got stuff all over him. And then he starts cracking up. And then he wants to put all that stuff on. It's funny. I love him. And my heart is, is drawn to him in that way. And back in Deuteronomy 7, God said to his, his model chosen people, before, the prototype before the reality, to Israel, he said, I didn't love you because you drew the most people to your worship services. I didn't love you because you preached the best sermons. I didn't love you because, man, you, you had the perfect family and there's no, there's no difficulties. Or no. He said, I, here's why he said I loved you. He said, I loved you. Why? And he's very clear. He said, because you were not the most of people. You were the fewest among the nations. I loved you because what, he says? Anybody remember that? Why does he say it? You get, a, you get a free lunch if you answer this question, okay? <laughs> Why did he say, I loved you? He says in Deuteronomy 7, I loved you simply because I chose you. And then he goes on to say, I loved you because I loved you. That's it. I loved you. I mean, that's like a kid. Why did you do that? Because I did it. No, no. Why did you do that, Ian? Because I did it. Well, with God, he really means it. Why did you love us? Because I loved you. That's why he chose us. See, and that's why we're his sons. There would be no bad Mondays. And Mondays that, I think I need to move on Mondays. There'd be no proud Mondays if we really believed that Jesus proved everything and performed everything that needed to be proved and performed in the eyes of the Father. That's credit to me, and now God loves me unconditionally as his son and is absolutely crazy about me. And I just want to give you three things to do to be to try and get this thing down deep in your soul. Number one, preach this to yourself. That's kind of what I've been doing, not really preaching, kind of teaching through this a little bit. Martin Luther is famous for saying he wanted to beat a certain doctrine regularly into his head. What doctrine was that? Anybody know? The doctrine of justification. That we stand justified, justified, never sinned, justified, been as righteous as Christ in Christ. He said, I, I, just, I have to beat that in my head constantly. But let me say, as you do that, beat adoption deep into your heart. That you are a child of the Father who loves you everlastingly and unconditionally. Preach this into yourself. Don't, listen, when you go to restaurants, do you ever wonder... <laughs> If the waiter or waitress maybe took something off your plate and enjoyed it as they were in the kitchen preparing it, have you ever wondered that? That's kind of nasty, isn't it? You better be nasty like that when you feed your people. You better be eating the truth about your sonship if you're going to preach with any kind of authority and effectiveness the sonship the, the truth of adoption to your people. See, we can so easily become chefs 
And so that people are actually enjoying the meal that God has given us and then bringing out part of it to the rest of the family. Preach this regularly to yourself. You know what George Mueller said? He was a pretty busy cat. He ran all these orphanages and did all this kind of stuff. He said, my first order of business every morning is to get his heart happy in the Lord. And I think the doctrine of adoption is something that will give us happiness in the Lord. Preach this into yourself. But second of all, pray this truth into yourself. Now, this would be a great study for you to do. How many times the scripture connects the Holy Spirit with a, with, with, with a sense of God's love in our heart? I want you to go to Romans 8. Another one of the famous, and we haven't even, we haven't drilled down into these at all. We just basically read them and looked at very basic truths from these verses. But Romans 8, latter part of that chapter, verse 15, Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Again, so much that could be derived from here but but here's here's what's very clear is the spirit bears witness that we are children of god romans 5 5 again the love of god shed abroad in our hearts by the holy spirit galatians 4 jude keeping yourself in the love of god have you ever prayed this kind of prayer spirit would you make me more aware of god's love for me as one of his sons would you would you do that for me Would you make me aware of my sonship? Go over to Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Taught through the book of Ephesians last year. And man, this this prayer at the end of chapter 3, kind of the link between the indicatives who we are in Christ and the imperatives, how we're to walk this out. This little prayer hinge is powerful. Verse 14, Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, now check this out, may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, there's so many things in this in this prayer, but one of the things that he's saying is that God would grant us the capacity to experience the profound depth of God's love for us. Because on our own, we can't, we can't it's like, do you guys like to grill out at all? There's gas grill. If you use a gas grill, you're probably not among the regenerate, okay? But if you use charcoal, well, that's a sign of new life, okay? Now, those coals are red hot, and then you spread them out once they're ready, you know, they get white hot. What would happen if you took one of those coals and put it in a paper bag? 
go right through it. See, that's what he's saying right here is in order to move that coal, you actually would need some like some serious barbecue uh, gloves, some asbestos gloves, some heat insulated gloves to move them if you're going to do that because that paper bag doesn't have the capacity to hold that white hot heat. And we do not have the capacity in ourselves to understand and hold the white hot heat love of, of God's love. And the Holy Spirit has to lay some asbestos lining in us, as it were, so that we can then begin to understand and taste more of the infinite, massive dimensions of God's love. There's no tape measure, by the way, big enough to, 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 to measure God's love. There's no tape measure big enough. This is what Stott said. God's love is long enough to last for eternity deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. We, I mean, listen, trying to understand God's love is like telling an, it's like an ant saying, palm this basketball. <laughs> Impossible. But we need to try. And we cannot do this on our own. There needs to be an understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to, 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 to make more real in our hearts this infinite love of God. See, God wants the fact that you are, that he is your father, not just to fill your head, but to fill your heart. He really wants that. We're given this prayer, and it ends with that we might be satisfied with all the fullness of God. Now, I'm going to close with just, um, actually, a few more things. I want to give you seven quick things, just in staccato fashion, of what it means for us to pursue this sense of, of God's adoptive love for us. Remember the spirit making us aware of our our status of adoption. This is, if you say, Father, I want, I I know you, you love me. I stake everything on that. I've given my life to preaching that. But I want to know more of that in an Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 kind of way. If you pursue that, let me tell you, it's not safe but it is sweet, sweeter than anything else the world offers. You see, God, I really believe that one of the things that God does in his, in his severe love is he breaks us. He breaks us. So, I mean, I mean, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Fruit bearing comes through a deep experience of God's love. That happens when God opens up some spaces in your heart. That happens when your heart is broken and you see how weak you are. So I just really think that as you pursue that, it's not safe, but it is sweet. The results are beautiful, but God will do some things in your life. Maybe that's why a lot of people don't deeply in the marrow of their soul feel the love of God because that to pursue that it is... Is It's a paradox, putting it all out there for you to experience more of God's love is quite dangerous. And yet there's nothing that provides greater stability than knowing the depth of God's love. I know in my own, my own with, with six children, a son, that's that my oldest son who's really struggling, God, God has just shown me the depths of his love for me over the brokenness that I have over my own son. I think this is not a safe thing to pursue, but it's sweet. Are you willing to take that risk? Number two, experiencing God's love in that 
tangible, sensual way, sensory way, is not a fireworks show, but a sunrise. And what I mean by that is you can hear people tell you, if you really want to experience God's love, you need to be, for instance, baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? You need, you need to have some instantaneous thing. Now, I believe that sometimes God the Father sends his spirit to drop, us, drop on us in fresh ways. Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about an experience he had. If you ever heard of the story of D.L. Moody, who was preaching, you know, the gospel regularly. He's walking down a street. He'd been praying, God, I want more of you. And the spirit came to him in such an overwhelming way that um, he had to ask a friend who had a business if he could use one of his back rooms just to be alone with God. And there God visited him in that kind of way. Sometimes it is rather a fireworks display. But what I'm saying is normatively, Experiencing and pursuing this kind of love, experiencing the Father's love for us through adoption, is not a fireworks show, but a sunrise. And that means it's a constant lifetime pursuit. Number three, along those lines, it's not a sprint, but it's a marathon. Okay? You ever feel like you're far from God? Usually that doesn't happen overnight. It's just you start to drift. And you look back and it's like, you know, for the last six weeks, I've been so busy that even if I've been checking the boxes, I haven't literally been sitting before his feet. Well, you know what? Sometimes restoration, forgiveness is always immediate, but a sense of, of that takes a while. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I, I've confessed my sins and I still feel far from God. Listen, we're not chasing an experience and we're chasing God himself, right? And as we do that, I know that... <laughs> We're faithfully understanding it's a lifelong pursuit, a marathon, not a sprint. He'll do that. Number four, if I haven't made this clear, I want to hear. This is not fluff, but it is felt. Again, if I can be clear on this, God wants us to feel our sonship. Don't let charismatic chaos or the fear of it keeping you from experiencing God. You know, we, we, we're such creatures of over-response that if we see an abuse, well, we run to another abuse. Don't do that. Be, be charis, charismatic in the biblical sense. One who is experiencing the presence or the grace of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number five, God has to do this, but we must choose it. We can't just contrive or recipe or even do a biblical formula to experience more of God. God has to do it, but we must choose. We're entirely at God's mercy, but we're entirely responsible to pursue more of him. Number six, you know that this is happening in you when you want God more than anything at any cost. You ever been to that place in your life where you, you know, and in Psalm, it says in Psalm 73, and I think this is where he got after he looked through he, he was looking at things in, in wrong fashion, the psalmist in Psalm 73, Asaph, and he says, Who do I have in heaven besides you, but you? And besides you, there's nothing I desire on earth. Now, that seems a little hyperbolic, doesn't it? I mean, certainly there's things you, like, you want on earth. But I think he had seen through some struggles that nothing is really stable and solid and satisfying like God himself until he gets to a point where he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And listen to the sensory language, and my portion forever. It's happening when you want God more than anything at any cost. And then finally, I think, ironically, the more you experience 
the love of the Father in your soul, the more you repent. Because you're now you're not repenting out of earning anything, which we can so easily do even as believers. You're repenting simply because he's a great dad. You just want to please him. Just like a kid wants to please his dad. Hey, dad, look. This moves us to fresh repentance and faith like nothing else, thus fueling the greatest transformation. God, you love me. Of course your way is best. I'm sorry for getting off the track. You're able to do everything you say, and I'm all in for you. I repent. Now, there is one last thing I want to say as I threw this, um, this, this last point together is this might mean, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, in Christianity, when somebody does something, they begin to become self-righteous about it, and everyone else needs to do it. I mean, honestly, sometimes parents who adopt are some of the people that I don't even want to be around because they begin almost, com- oh, look at me, I adopted. And so I'm almost re- reluctant to say, because that's not my thing. Not everyone's called to do that. I think everyone's called to care and do something about it. I never was called to do it. But at the risk of you thinking that, I just want to encourage you to consider not just to, 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 to preach this into your soul, to pray this into your soul, but maybe physically adopt this into your soul. Not because Christians are great at perfecting talk without walk, specifically on social issues. Don't do this, but not do anything about it. Not just because it demonstrates God's love for his people to the world. Not just because there's a massive need. But I think that this might be a way where you would experience, along with doing, taking action on all those other points, you might experience more of God's love for you. Because there's nothing like seeing a kid who looks far different than you and loving him as a son. That's exactly what the Father does with us.